Coming up on the Money Beat podcast, yes, you know the U.S. dollar has been rising sharply since the election, but what exactly does that mean? Well, Mark Astley is CEO of a currency specialist called Millennium Global Investments. He is here in the studio today to help break it down for us. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Money Beat Podcast. Again, as always, we are so glad to be joining you, to be to be sneaking into your ears, as it were, actually. Thank you for letting us invade your cranium. It's been a busy week. It has been an incredibly Four busy Four straight week. podcasts. Four straight uh, podcasts. And we already know we're going to do at least, are we going to do three tomorrow? No, I think just two. We're just going to do two. Yeah. Right. All right. We don't. We don't want to go overboard. We don't want to go overboard. But you know, look. If if you're, you know, you there's only to, so much listeners can if, take. If you're wanting to know what we'll be up to, we're gonna do. We'll do two tomorrow. We'll do uh, tomorrow's Jobs Friday, Big Jobs Podcast. Who are we gonna have on to to talk about that? I'm not sure. I have to actually check on that. Okay. Uh, you you check check with our Booker. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then we'll do our, you know, our week ahead. That'll come out on Saturday. We tape that. All right, I'll let you know a little secret, folks. We we tape those on Friday. <laughs> and then we run them out on Saturday. So we will tape two tomorrow. We've done four this week. Big week here. At the, it's almost like it's, it's like sweeps week for the Money Beat podcast team, right? You think we're going for some ratings or something. <laughs> You're taking next week off. I mean, you are worn out. I am. Uh, maybe I'll call in. Maybe I'll call in on one. We could do that, huh? I'd appreciate it. Yeah. All right. We've talked about a bunch of things this week, folks, as I know you've been, you've listened diligently, so you know. One thing we have not really focused on specifically is what's going on with the U.S. dollar. So that's what we want to talk about today. I want to talk a little dollar, a little Forex. Sometimes I feel like the, the U.S. is the only country that hasn't banned cash. <laughs> am, I, am I wrong about that? It's, it's, it seems like that's the trend these days. Banning cash. Banning cash. Well, they did it in India. I mean, India, yeah. Yeah, that's the big, big one. Right, right. And also, you know, knowing that where Paul comes from, right. being a big Bitcoiner, right. uh, that's so his very, dream. I'm, I'm yeah, very it's been sensitive. very good for Bitcoin. Everybody's oh, like, I can't exchange my rupees. I got to get into Bitcoin. I, at some point, I have to sit down and actually get that story out about what that means for Bitcoin. I just haven't had a chance to. to Aren't do you it. writing your second book on Bitcoin right now? I am, and thank you so much for allowing me to plug that for a second. <laughs> Let's get the uh, title. Yes. Uh, <laughs> We're still working on the title. <laughs> uh, yeah, Casey and I are working on our great follow-up to the, the Bitcoin book. So look for that one next year. But today, we're talking currency. And uh, as you've already figured out, we have Chelsea Delaney in the studio here with us. And we also, you heard another voice on there, folks. You don't know who it is. I'll tell you who it is. It is Mark Astley, who is CEO of Millennium Global Investments. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you. Good to be here. Glad to have you on. And and we needed you. because Well, Chelsea's an expert. Grocer and I are not. Chelsea. But we wanted another expert on the, the Forex. Good to be here. The Forex front. Glad to have you here. Uh, you got your bags. You've been in New York this week? I've been in Seattle, Portland, and then wow. New York for a couple of days. Wow. I'm heading up to London tonight, so doing the red eye. Nice. Yeah. All right. So you're doing a lot of trips. Well, doesn't stop. Yeah. Business. Business yeah, stuff. Absolutely. Like it, right? All yeah. right. Drumming up some business. Well, trying to spread the gospel according to why people should worry about currency risk because it's a big issue these days. Yeah. Uh, well, then preach to us a little bit. Uh, let, let's talk about currency risk. U.S. dollar has been uh, on fire basically since the election. I know it's down today, Thursday. It's down, right? Yeah, just yeah. not extremely. Right, it's not still extremely. Up a lot since the, the election. The trend is up. The trend is up. Uh, trend is up for the U.S. dollar, Mark. What exactly does that mean for? Uh, let's start with, with investors. What does that really mean for investors? Well, in terms of why the dollar's up, perhaps you can start there. 
you know, the, the, the Trump election potentially is a profound change in policy. Mm-hmm. And that change in policy is going to encompass tighter monetary policy. We're going to have a Fed rate rise almost certainly this month mm-hmm. coming. And most particularly, it's going to begin a big, big fiscal ease. And that combination of tighter money and easier fiscal policy is the best possible recipe for currency to go up. And the best, perhaps, historical case study around that was the Reagan era. Mm -hmm. If you think back to the early 1980s, we had a phenomenally tight monetary policy in the U.S. when Paul Volcker was trying to put the then inflation genie back in the bottle. And we had a very expansive fiscal policy under Reagan, uh, the whole Star Wars uh, environment and so on. And the dollar had the biggest bull market in history from 1980 to 85. So much so that it led to the Plaza Agreement, uh, which is trying to bring it down again. We're nothing like anywhere close to those extremes. But the point I'm making is this. The environment that Trump appears to be promoting and the Fed is then following or conjoining is very positive the dollar particularly in an environment where the Europeans and the Japanese are easing and continuing to have easy monetary policy. So it's the perfect storm in a positive sense where the dollar's got the wind at its back. And our belief is it's going to continue for not just weeks, but months and quarters. Hmm. And there's a big trend coming here uh, in terms of dollar strength. I mean, what do you, we have seen a big rally in the dollar, but you're saying it's not too strong yet. And But what what is like too strong for the dollar? What is sort of a a level that would make the Fed, the U.S., other countries uncomfortable? Yeah, that's a great question. I think if you look at um, the monetary conditions in the U.S., and the way the Fed looks at it is they think of the dollar, how strong it is, as you rightly point out, Chelsea. They look at rates, they look at credit, and they look at equities. And today, as we sit here having this podcast together, monetary, excuse me, financial conditions are easier than they were in January. So there's no consideration yet that the dollar is too strong or financial conditions are too tight. But to answer your question more directly, I think we're 15 or 20% away from a situation where uh, you have the dollar being too strong and therefore having a negative feedback loop into the U.S. economy. If you think of the Plaza Accord of 85, Detroit was screaming at Washington to say, we just cannot compete with the Japanese with the dollar this strong. None of that is happening at the moment, nor need right. it to. In fact, interestingly enough, today, I'm sure you guys are on top of it more than I am, GM's numbers and uh, Ford's numbers were very strong. Mm-hmm. So Detroit is in a very good place. So we're quite a ways away from having any threat that the dollar's too strong. And in fact, for the last 18 months, it's really gone sideways. Mm-hmm. The big dollar bull market was late 13, 14, yeah. and early 15. 2016 has been dollar weakness. Right. So this is just a continuation or just basically the next inning of the dollar rally, not the end of it. Mm-hmm. I think going into the election, the dollar had sort of fallen on the year because a lot of people were expecting the Fed to take this right. very slow pace of tightening policy, like yeah. maybe one, two rate increases next year. But it seems like that's sort of being reevaluated now. Like, are we are we looking at more Fed tightening going forward? Like, where do you sort of see that going? Yeah, I think we're now in a situation where there's a risk of that. Um, a couple of reasons for that. One is employment, unemployment has come way down and it's now below 5%. So there's concern that spare capacity in the economy is being eaten up. Uh, secondly, this big fus- fiscal boost, um, is it a trillion dollars of fiscal spending and tax cuts? That's going to make the Fed sit up and take notice that, in fact, any spare capacity is going to be eaten up even more. And therefore, they're going to worry about the inflation picture as well. 
Of course, in the last two days, we've had oil going from 46 to 51, so a 50% rally, and that's going to concern the Fed about inflation. So, Chelsea, you're absolutely right. It's possible that we get a much more significant um, uplift in, in rates next year if we get this propulsive boost to the U.S. economy. I want to get back to sort of the Trump policies and the rally that we've sort of seen across many assets recently, because there is still a lot of uncertainty. You mentioned the fiscal stimulus, and we sort of hammered home on the point that he's not really talking about actually the government spending a trillion dollars. He's talking about using, you know, uh, giving tax incentives Mm -hmm. to get private money to sort of get to that trillion dollar figure. Is there a, is there a possibility that like when these when you know the sort of next year these policies could end up disappointing that the rally is getting a little bit too far ahead of itself? Yeah, I guess it depends on how much and how soon. As you know, all the rhetoric has been that he's going to start on January twentieth, coming out of the gate really fast. But I guess a lot of presidents will say the same thing, and we'll just have to see how much he can actually get enacted. I think the talk has been that about half a trillion is going to be genuine public spending and half a trillion or thereabouts is going to be tax cuts. But I think the market and the equity side is excited by the idea that he's going to deregulate Mm -hmm. and corporate tax rates going down to in the 20s or in the teens is highly highly positive for for return on capital in the U.S. corporate sector. And that's good for the dollar because people will come here and invest in that. So there's a potentially good mix where the productivity uh, problem that the U.S. has had could be to some extent resolved. So do you think, you know, it's interesting because that's something that we've been waiting for for a really long time in this country is to see uh, capital spending from business, see real right. business investment. Right. Uh, we, we know it's been weak throughout the economy. Do you think there's a chance that that, that dynamic changes from all this? I think there's a chance. It seems like you're pointing towards that. Yeah, and, and it's actually a great question because – Every why, why thank you, Mark. No, seriously, every economist I've spoken to, and we do a lot of this stuff in London and in, in New York here and in Tokyo and so on, why has capital investment been so soft? Yeah. You know, profits as a percentage of GDP are all-time highs, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the cost of capital is close to all-time right. lows. What are these companies doing? And there's concerns about political uncertainty. There's concerns about overregulation, um, and obviously the tax burden. So to the extent that one can make the argument that the tax burden is going to be eased, and the regulation is going to be lowered, then arguably that's got to be a positive rather than negative, all things being equal. Mm-hmm. So it ought to help um, in the, in, with that idea. And in addition to that, as you know, there's a big issue around repatriating U.S. corporate cash balances overseas. Right, right. And if we get this tax holiday or this discount to bring back money and only tax it at 10%, we're talking, depending how you count it, $2.5 trillion worth of uh, cash some of it's already parked in U.S. dollars, so it's not right. entirely a foreign exchange issue, but part of it isn't. And that could go into capital investment for whatever whatever uh, plant manufacturing and so on, which could be very positive for the productivity issue. Yeah. So is that possible? Yes. How big it is? We're going to have to see right. and find out. Right. And we know – I mean we know they, they did the tax holiday in 2004 – and did not end up going as much into business spending as, as they had wanted. Right. right. So the multiplier might be you know, low, right. but it's going to be positive. Yeah. So we'll have to see how yeah. the magnitude of that. Let's, uh, let's take a break here. I think it's a good natural spot to take a break. Uh, we'll have this message for you folks. And when we come back, talk more about the dollar and forex with Mark Astley. Need to check in on Wall Street? 
Listen to Heard on the Street and stay one step ahead of the headlines only on WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Welcome back to the Money Beat Podcast. And look, I know you're listening to this podcast. If you like what you're hearing, and I certainly hope that you do like what you're hearing, you can check out more great journal podcasts. We are at wsj.com slash podcasts. We have many, many good programs to offer you. We have Your Money Matters, the free-for-all, speakeasy, heard on the street, WSJ Opinion, the tech news briefing, what's news. You can check us out. You can follow us. We're on Twitter. Uh, follow us on Twitter at WSJ Podcasts. And if you want to subscribe, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, your Google Play Music app, and I believe Amazon Echo as well. So we're pretty much everywhere where podcasts go in this world, in this universe of social online media. We are talking today with Mark Astley from Millennium Global Investments, talking about the dollar, talking about Forex. We have Chelsea Delaney here also, one of our commodity, uh, commodities, currencies reporters. Uh, we had just been talking about Let's see. What are we? we we touched on the Fed. We touched on productivity. Productivity. The tax holiday. Grocery. What about trade? I mean, you yeah. know, that was obviously a big platform for Trump. I mean, how is that going to impact the dollar and the global economy? To be honest, yeah, that's a big issue, isn't it? Um, certainly, the rhetoric in the campaign was pretty um, radical. <laughs> yeah, certainly populist. <laughs> pretty radical. And slapping forty-five percent tariffs on Chinese imports and thirty-five on Mexican. That isn't going to happen. Um, but what might happen, though, and the big story that's come in the media more this week, as you know, is this whole idea of does the Treasury Secretary uh, label Chinese uh, the Chinese a currency manipulators? Mm-hmm. This has been on the table on and off in Congress for 15 years. It's never happened. Um, it might do. And that your point is well taken that this is where trade could be a big issue um, and it could be very much a risk-off event. If you remember the turmoil we had in the China uh, currency market uh, the fall of 2015, was very negative for risk assets, both here and elsewhere. Um, and the potential for a tit-for-tat trade war will be possible then because the Chinese aren't going to take that lying down. Um, it's kind of unknown territory, though, because you've got it's a number of criteria, not all that are met, but it's ultimately a political decision, and that's why it's an, an unknown. Mm-hmm. I feel like the other trade implication for the dollar is just the fact that you know, the dollar is used in so many it's, – it's, it's a huge reserve currency. It's a huge – just it's used in a lot of mm-hmm. deals, things like that. Like, does this – would more protectionism, you know, th- sort of threaten that role as a funding currency, as just the preeminent currency in the world? Yeah. To the extent that it threatens its role as a funding currency, um, that would help the dollar because there would be a sort of a giant sucking sound in terms of a, a big short. Mm-hmm. been covered. Because the dollar, as you rightly say, has been the funding currency of choice for a long time, um, I think the consequences of any trade spat would be that emerging markets would get pretty badly hit because they would thrive. If you like the high beta names in the currency market, so any uh, crimping of, of global trade, which is already down year yeah. on year, would hurt emerging markets quite a bit. And that's the threat. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned that I wanted to bring up emerging markets because even beyond the, the issues of trade, the the you know as you, as you talk about you know so much emerging market debt is denominated in dollars with this strong dollar. What are people saying about what's going to happen in the emerging markets when the, if the dollar keeps rising? 
which you think it's going to. So, I mean, what, what's going to happen there? Yeah, all things being equal, if the Fed raises rates, that puts pressure on emerging markets and a stronger dollar uh, as well. Although, of course, you know, they ease their currencies against the dollar. That's going to give them a help in, uh, in, in, in exporting. Mm-hmm. Um, so they get a lift there. The big concern, I think, is in the emerging markets is how much debt has been accumulated, right. both in dollars and in local currency in the last, what, 10 years. And in the same way that debt accumulation was a major problem in 97, we had the major Asian crisis. In 98, we had mm-hmm. Russia. Could we foresee in a year's time or two years' time, if the dollar goes up a lot, that this comes back again? Yes, that is a risk uh, in the longer term. Yeah. And certainly Chinese corporates are highly indebted. And we've started to see bankruptcies in China for the first time. So to what extent uh, is that going to unravel? And the Chinese have got quite a problem there because yeah. of the misallocation of capital for and, decades. And, and bankruptcies in China, correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, th- those are pretty much those are political decisions often, right? They are. Yeah. So it's interesting. When they allow a company to get bust, they are sending a signal. Right. For sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In the last couple of days, you know, this week, obviously, we've seen Trump start getting uh, – Donald Trump starting to get his economic team in place. You have Wilbur Ross taking on uh, becoming Commerce Secretary, Steve Mnuchin becoming Treasury Secretary. What is that saying to the markets, you know, their appointments, um, and what is it saying to the dollar specifically? Yeah, well, Mnuchin was saying yesterday, wasn't he, that it's going to be the biggest tax reform since Reagan. Um, That's probably good for return on capital for the U.S., so arguably it's good for the dollar. Um, And Wilbur Ross, who I've met, is is a very able and well-known man, of course, in his sphere of influence. Uh, He's sort of downplayed the idea of having trade wars. He said, look, we're not going to just slap on excise duties. We're just going to, as he calls it, we don't want to have dumb trade. We want to have smart trade. So I think he's a pretty safe pair of hands in terms of the Commerce Secretary. Uh, And that will be good for the dollar, too. I don't see any major risk from him. I would like to congratulate you both for pronouncing Mnuchin's name correctly, (laughs) for getting it right. I was very impressed, very impressed with both of you. (laughs) I'm not taking it again. You don't have I'm to. Done, I'm done you don't have show. to. You did it once. You, you got it. You're done. Right. You dropped the mic on that. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. It's okay. <laughs> you know, you talk about the, the dollar. You, you see this. the trends continuing into next year. Does there – I mean, is there – look, there's two sides to every trade, right? So, I mean, if the dollar is winning, who ends up losing – and you know where should they go? What what's the other well, side the, of that? Yeah, there's a big area of focus right now. I guess in, in two two senses. One is on the yen. You know, the yen is highly susceptible to interest rate carry. Mm-hmm. And when we've had uh, the ten year note going from one seventy pre election night to two forty four today, there's a big bigger spread between U.S. Treasuries and JGBs. And the dollar yen has gone from 102 on election night to 113, 114 today. It's a big move. Mm-hmm. And that's likely to continue if we get the kind of profile I've been talking about where fiscal policy is going to steepen the U.S. curve. The other aspect to it is in Europe. And as you well know, the political environment in Europe is highly unstable. In right. my country, we've, had, we've lived through Brexit. Um, but the calendar now going forward is uncertain. We've got the Italian referendum at this weekend mm-hmm. and Renzi's attempt to try and take power from the Senate looks as though it's going to fail. His government may fall. And next year we have Marine Le Pen of the far-right National Front. In France. Throwing, exactly. Yeah. Throwing her, her hat into the ring again for the presidential election. It does appear that she won't win, but certainly it'll throw the cat amongst the pigeons. And if she does, the whole European project comes into question. Yeah. And the risk premium, therefore, is going to go up in terms of the euro, and we think it's going to fall as a result. Right. And we've heard a few times that 
the populist side won't win um, right. in exactly. the last 12 months. Right. Exactly. In, in, both our, in both our nations yeah. exactly. this year, right? We've heard that. We need to learn. So that's that. the risk premium in the euro is likely to go up, I think. Um, there's elections in Germany. Germany. We've got um, you know, Austria, who's who's got a far-right uh, uh, party and may get into government. The Netherlands like, as the well. The Hungarians are very uh, anti-immigration and so on. So the fault lines in Europe are growing. Yeah. And therefore, the risk premium in the currency is likely to go with it. Where does I mean one of the questions I do you think there's going to be uh, you know an end to sort of this wave of populism at some point is it going <laughs> going to stop or is is this sort of a new world or we're going to have to sort of settle in for where the globalization that we've we've sort of grown accustomed to over the last couple of decades is you know is is going away? Well, yeah, that's a great question. I think globalization's dead for yeah. now. When did it begin? It began in 1989 with the collapse of the Berlin Wall. Right. And we've had a generation of the fruits of globalization. The reality is they've not been evenly shared. And now it's over. Is it over for a year or a decade? I don't know. But clearly the lessons of what you were just saying about Brexit and then Trump, both unexpected, show that we've got to wake up and smell the coffee. The whole world is changing right. around that issue. And is the dollar the winner in that post-globalization world? That's... Purely in that context, um, as I said before, I think if there's going to be a retrenchment and in an inward-looking U.S. and an inward-looking U.K. and so on, um, probably because the home bias and the capital repatriation will benefit the dollar. But it's going to be a pretty ugly world if it closes you know, too much because n- nobody wins in that environment. Right. Yeah, I, I think, too, this whole issue of, of is globalization dead, I just – me, me stepping back, and I see the the I see this I see the populist argument. I mean, I see it. You see people who are getting nothing out of globalization. They've gotten nothing for thirty years. They're tired of it. They, You've they, articulated it. I've articulated <laughs> it. Yes, I see it. On the other hand, you know, you, you talk about trends in technology and the way the world is growing, the way we have become so interlinked. That is not going to stop. It, it just it isn't. And what Agreed. you need, what populism needs to do is actually figure out how they can live within that world and make things more equitable. Mm-hmm. And if you can get people figuring that out and doing that, mm-hmm. then maybe that's when that's when the well, populist wave actually kind of dies out because it does what it's meant to do, which is make things better for people who are not getting anything I right th- now. I think I think you can look at like the last, you know, 20, 30 years in this country and across the world and it's been rapid change. Right. And it, it comes as no surprise that you would have, you know, people hitting the pause button, people stepping back, people wanting to pull back on this because yes. the lives have changed dramatically, some for the good, some for the worse. I mean, and people have to adjust to that. And when it hap- when change happens too fast, I think it's a natural reaction to pull back on it. Yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely right. But I think what... And that's not just economic. That's also cultural. It's right. across everything. Technology, everything. Yeah. yeah. The Apple's not going to stop building iPhones in no. China. So I'm not suggesting when I say exactly. I, I, globalism is dead that we're going to go back to the 1970s. What I'm saying is the a continual advance is over and yeah. maybe some sort of retrench. Right. Yeah. But the, the global links that you talk about are going to continue, right. of course. Right. And I didn't think that you meant it was dead, dead in the water and the other. Yeah. But the, there the are people who think that, who, who want that. But the other Some thing, of them just won elections. And right, we also yes. talk about we, – we talked about this on this show before. I mean a lot of the rhetoric that you see out of campaigns, and you know, we're sort of used to also seeing it out of campaigns. It's not just this one about you know jobs being stolen, jobs going overseas. Yeah. Well, a lot of that debate probably needed to take place probably 20, 30 years ago. Right now, a lot of those jobs, manufacturing jobs, 
our manufacturing is coming back to the United States, the jobs aren't. The jobs are being replaced by technology, right. robots, you right. know, computers, things like that. Uber. And that's something we need Uber. to start. Yeah, Uber. And we need to, that's something I think going forward is going to be, have to be addressed in how we sort of deal with that. Yeah. And we're going a little afar afield of the dollar here. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we should say that for another podcast. We've been talking about that for like saving that for another podcast for a while now. Yeah, we've got like five podcasts of, of you know, let's save that for another podcast. <laughs> but it's a big theme, isn't it? This is going to be absorbing yeah. policymakers for the next number of years, if not right. the next decade. How right. to resolve that problem? Yeah. And, and and Chelsea, what are, you know, when you talk about the the currency market now, I mean, what everyone sees where the dollar is when they see the trends, you know. But what are people are, are people anxious, worried, overjoyed? Are people rushing in? Is it you know bull market? You know, what's what's kind of the prevailing sentiment to people you talk to? Yeah, I mean, it seems like a pretty people are pretty optimistic about at least the path for the dollar. I think just now people are starting to question. You know, how realistic is it that all of these policies get implemented and we don't have, you know, uh, emerging market crisis? We don't see slower growth from protectionism. Like there's a lot of cross currents and people seem to be now focusing on the more growth optimistic side of things. So um, I think it's sort of a, a mixed bag in the future. Yeah. Mark, what do you so so? Look, you were drumming up business this week. You're in Portland, Seattle. You're in New York. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you? What's your, you know, what's kind of your pitch to to clients? What are you telling folks these days? Yeah, I think um, the, the key message is that currencies matter, in the sense that when you're running portfolios as a CIO of a pension plan, whether it be state or corporate, there's a lot of currency risk in that uh, portfolio because of the international investments. And that the volatility and the trends and the returns that come from currency are very significant in that. And it really matters to think about it, to manage it, to hedge it, uh, to make a virtue out of it by adding return. And there's an awakening going on about the idea that this ridge should really be incorporated in all the asset allocation discussions for such a portfolio. And that's what we're getting out there and we're hearing out, uh, out the, across the country. Mark Astley is CEO of a currency specialist called Millennium Global Investments. Thank you for coming in today. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. And everyone, as always, thank you for listening. We absolutely appreciate your patronage, too. And listen, look for us tomorrow, Jobs Friday, Big Jobs Friday. We wouldn't miss it for the world. Share our shows with your friends. Like us at Facebook.com slash WSJ Podcasts.